Good evening, everyone. I rather like that uh, short video. It sort of usefully um, weaves together uh, a number of themes, if you like, uh, for this time of the year. Uh, obviously, the, the broad setting is the kind of journeys uh, that many of us undertake at Christmas. Families get together, we travel to home, wherever that might be, or people come to us. Um, we're on the roads, we're on the railways. Um, traveling is a, a big Christmas theme. But it also reminds us that traveling and journeys are a, a big part of the, the Bible story as well. And in particular, she is obviously uh, recreating, in a sense, the, the journey of, of the Magi. And uh, that's the sort of background to, to that picture there. But also, there's another sort of theme woven into that, and the fact, that's the fact that uh, we inevitably, all of us, uh, for, for us, Christmas is some kind of journey. We can't really help it. The whole thing is unfolding uh, before us, and, and we have to just keep going. We will arrive on Christmas Day. Um, it's, for many of us, demanding, busy, preoccupying, um, for some it's joyful, for others it's difficult and, and painful. Um, but the big question, I think, is will we arrive? Will we actually, to use the, the biblical story and the biblical theme, will we actually find the stable? Will we actually find that moment where we're present and we are... Uh, in the presence of, of, of God. That's what we're looking for. That's the hunger of our, our hearts, really. It's the hunger of my heart, and I think it's um, what we're all somehow hoping for out of this season and out of this journey, that we will actually arrive. There will be a moment in which, like uh, the woman in the, in the story there, we meet God face-to-face. I find Christmas, frankly, for many years, I found it quite a difficult journey, and I have found this wonderful center uh, elusive often, and what I arrive at is not Christmas, but Boxing Day. What I arrive at is when it's all finished and I'm tired, lethargic, and overfed. Um, what I'd just like to spend a few minutes on this evening is that moment that I think we're all hungry for. That moment when, amidst everything else that this season uh, includes, we have a sense of, for a short time perhaps, have being still, being alert, aware, present, before the real message of God's love intervention and intrusion into this world and into our, into our lives. Perhaps we could have the, just the first picture. There's this picture, some of you already know very well because it's the picture I chose to put on uh, the cover of my, uh, of my book. Uh, this is not a promotion, but on the other hand, if you wish to buy it after the service, I, I won't in any way get in, your, get in the way. Um, I discovered this painting some years ago, and it's always sort of hung around, really, at Christmas time. It's 
painted by a Chinese painter whose personal story is really, really interesting. He's a fascinating man. His name is He Shi, and he is Chinese. He's now quite an elderly man. He now lives in the States. Um, he was a paint. He began his painting career during the Cultural Revolution in China in the 1960s, when Mao was at his most uh, oppressive, repressive uh, stage, uh, which many people died, uh, many people were imprisoned. Christians, in particular, were harassed. Uh, many of them imprisoned. Many of them died. Um, in which Mao was presented as a, uh, a virtually divine figure. He, he was the, uh, the, the godlike figure who ruled over the, the whole country. And Hershey began his painting career as a portrait painter of Chairman Mao. His first painting experience was, in a sense, painting the divine in, in terms of Chinese politics at the time. He painted pictures of Chairman Mao, quite a senior level uh, for official purposes and, and so on. At the same time, at night, he somehow came across the New Testament and began reading the New Testament. And as a way of reflection and exploration of the New Testament, he began painting scenes from the New Testament. And uh, I think this is one of his er earlier ones coming from those days of the Cultural Revolution. Uh, might be good to just check that out sometime. Um, but I think it's one of his earlier ones. And to me, it's a, an extraordinary testimony to what's happening in this man, man's life. On the one hand, you've got the noise, the violence, the, the self-centeredness of the cult of Chairman Mao that he was contributing to by day. By night he was exploring a total, totally different kind of leader, king, ruler. And this picture captures gentleness and stillness, reverence and worship that is entirely different to the kind of stuff he was producing by day. At some point in that journey, he became a, a Christian, and many of his early paintings were painted on sheets of cloth and rolled up and taken from village to village uh, as a teaching aid for, for new Christians and, as, uh, and for uh, preaching, preaching the gospel. Somehow, he survived that whole uh, time and came out at the other end of the Cultural Revolution. Since then, he's painted hundreds of, of paint, paintings. If you Google his name, which is spelled H-E, then Q-I. Um, not many people on the web have that name. Um, you will find many of his pictures, and they're worth, they're worth exploring. I'd like to spend just a little bit of time with this one, because I think it really just helps us slow down, focus, just be present. I'd like you to notice two things about it, first of all. First is the position of worship and stillness and attentiveness of the three magi in, in the picture. One of them bowed right over. In fact, you have to just um, take a moment to, to see him. He's at the top of the picture. He's really bowed over in, in worship. The middle one is kneeling and offering gifts. 
And the third one is actually looking out of the picture at us. And it wasn't actually till um, it appeared on my book cover that I realized one really important thing about this picture, and that is that that third magi is welcoming us, inviting us into the picture. There's a big brown hand there that's just welcoming us in, inviting us in. And in my imagination, at least, um, the place we're being invited to take is that empty space at the front on the left-hand side. I think it's a very gracious, gentle, peaceful and still picture of what Christian worship and adoration is. Our praise, our worship, our encounter with God, it takes many, many different forms and sometimes it's celebratory and uplifted and full of celebration and noise. But I think this picture is just suggesting that part of it is this stillness of heart, quietness of mind, attentiveness to who Christ is and what is really happening in the Christmas story. That in ways which stretch our imagination, reach beyond our understanding, God is intervening, God is becoming present, God is with us in this fragile scrap of baby humanity. And I think Hershey in this painting is saying, just be still with that. Just be still with that. And I think amidst the real busyness and the real clamor this time of year, there's something in us that is just longing for that, that moment to be present somewhere. And I, my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us, my brothers and sisters tonight, is that somewhere along the journey at this time, we will find such a moment. And I encourage you to look for it and find it and identify it be willing to seek it. It might even be in this very moment in this service. It might have been in the carol services. It might be with your family at Christmas. It might be as you travel and as you just have a bit of space in your head. It might be at all kinds of moments. But I encourage you this Christmas time to look for this moment. Let's just give ourselves a, such a moment to be present, if you want to reflect on that simple picture. It's a picture of great simplicity. It's almost geometrical in the way it's designed, in the boldness of the colors, but it just captures something about what worship is about.
over the centuries, as people have, Christian people have reflected on this story, worship has, it is seen that Matthew is presenting the experience of worship to us with three kind of, in three kind of ways. One is he speaks about the Magi bowing the knee and worshipping. And for Matthew, as we find out from the rest of his gospel, bowing the knee is not simply about respect, but it is about worshipping in the presence of God. So there's the first one, and we've talked a bit about it already. And the second one is the offering of treasures. And this is the, the famous part of the story that we, we all know and that is expressed in a thousand um, Christmas cards and in nativity plays and everything else, the opening of their treasures and the offering of their treasures. And the third, which is perhaps not so much talked about, but uh, it's clearly there, I think, is where Matthew speaks of the Magi finding their way home by a different route, by a different way. And I'd just like to touch on each of those. The, the first we've really spoken about, and I, I suppose this is the, the, the heart of what's um, with me this Christmas time, that for myself at least, that somewhere within all the things that need to be done and all the good things that need to be done and all the, the fun and the celebration, I won't forget to look for that moment of presence. I won't forget to look for that moment of stillness and attentiveness to what God has done in this tiny baby. But let's move on to the second one about offering our treasures because this is a, another dimension of worship which is really crucial, really important. Um, the painting I'd just like to put before you here, you may remember I used last year and I make no apology for that because I think it's actually extremely rich. This is one of many, many, many uh, paintings that have been done across the, the centuries uh, showing this moment, the moment of the offering of treasures. What's it about? I think there are just several things just worth hanging on to here. One is worship is always costly. Worship always leads on. It is never complete in that moment of encounter and presence uh, of which, which I've been trying to describe. Worship is always leading on and it's always costly. In the case of the, the Magi, they, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And maybe the, the first thing to, to know about those things is that they were the most expensive commodities of the day. They were the most precious commodities of the day, um, rare in their own way. Um, and here they are offering in this humble family home, this place of no consequence, humanly speaking, to a baby, they are offering gifts of exquisite costliness. One interesting thing about this picture, and it connects it with the Chinese one, is the little bowl in the middle at the bottom of the picture, which is actually a little Ming uh, dynasty vase from China. And for Mantegna, who is the painter of this picture, 
This was the most precious thing he could think of in the early 16th century. Europeans didn't know how to make porcelain. The only examples came from China, and they were extremely rare in Europe. And so the gold here, which you can hardly see, you can just see it in the top there, is held in something far more precious than gold uh, in this little Ming vase. And uh, you may have forgotten this now, but in the, uh, in the Chinese picture beforehand, in the middle of the picture, he's also got a, a precious vase just like that. So I, I think the first thing to just lay hold of here is that worship in some way will be costly for us. If it is the real thing, if it is a real encounter with the living Christ, it will flow on to something that has its, has its cost. Across Christian history, these gifts have also been understood to be pictures of the ministry of Jesus, that gold is a picture of, of his royalty, his kingship. Uh, the frankincense is a picture of his priestly character and that he uh, represents us. He is, uh, acts as priest on our behalf before God. And myrrh, which was used in it to embalm uh, dead bodies, is a picture of his sacrifice. That's a helpful uh, way of uh, understanding what's, what's present in this picture. But I, I think what Matthew has in mind is, in fact, a third point here. These are actually the characteristic tools of the trade for magi. These are magi. They are not wise men. They are not kings. In biblical terms, they are not wise at all. They are, in fact, the purveyors of false uh, religious ideas and practices and superstition. They were experts in the occult, in astrology. Uh, their very call to come and find Jesus arises out of their astrological world. They are grubby purveyors of falsity and superstition. They were feared in the ancient world. Sometimes they were powerful. Often they were uh, excluded from from power, always they were feared. They could be found in Persia and Iraq, they could be found throughout the Middle East, and they were people on the fringes of respectable society. And what they are doing here is they are bringing the tools of their trade, the gold, the frankincense and myrrh, were the things that they used in their occult spiritual practices and divinations and in their astrological um, discernments. They are bringing the tools of their trade, a soiled and dirty trade, before Christ. Are they offering their, their calling and their trade, their profession? We read later that they return home by another way. Uh, T.S. Eliot, in his famous poem about the Magi, speaks about them being no longer at ease. That's not biblical, that's a, a poem. 
But what was really happening for these three men? They had entered into this place. They had come to a place of worship. They hardly knew what they were observing or what they were part of, but somehow they are offering the most precious things they have and the things that are characteristic of their, of their trade and their life. And I think that's something I would really lay before all of us, and I lay it before myself as well. I think worship is about laying our gifts, laying our capacities, laying our professions and our way of life, laying the skills and the talents we have before the King of Kings, before the Christ child, that it may be sanctified, that it may be purified. None of our trades probably um, have the grubbiness and the dirtiness of the trade of the Magi back home. But probably many of our careers and professions have their ambiguities, have their conflicts, have their moments that we really wonder what's, how they can be handled with integrity. Life is complex in that kind of way. Worship is the willingness to offer the whole of our lives that they may in some way be made holy, in some way be sanctified, and that we might live in a new way. And the third dimension of worship that is in the story is in that phrase, and they returned by another, another way. The NIV translation here misses an important moment. It says they returned by another route, which is an accurate enough translation. But the word there is the characteristic New Testament word for the way. And the way was the, way, it was the term that was used for early Christians. They were, before the term being a Christian or Christianity was coined, they were described as followers of the way because they followed Jesus. They walked in his way. They were followers of the way. And so what, Mark is, what Matthew is saying here is that they returned by another way, not simply avoiding Herod as a very dangerous man, but they were returning home in some way renewed, in some way made different, transformed, uh, returning by another way, the way of Jesus. What these three things together mean, that what is the desire of our hearts at this season and throughout our lives, for that precious moment of stillness and attentiveness in the presence of God in which we know ourselves accepted, received, welcomed, forgiven. That precious moment is one that will change life profoundly. It will be costly because it will lead us into the renewal of our lives, the renewal of our, uh, our life in the world, the renewal of our families. It will call us into a new way altogether.